Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I am your host and narrator, Springheel Jack. And today I'm going to be covering a very special subject that people have given me a world of shit about not covering already. And that's going to be several factors that are included in this one podcast, but I think they're all in the same family of ridiculous and definitely interesting. And that would be the 27 Club and the White Lighter Theory. I'm going to be covering both of them because they are kind of connected. And with that being said, today's episode is not monetized because I would be violating the Fair Act law for copyright infringement if it was. So there are no ads on this show that are making me any money. I'm doing this for you guys because I appreciate you. With that being said, every ad on this show is made by Rockstar Games. They're all fake for companies that don't exist and aired during Grand Theft Auto. I do not own any of the rights to nor did I aid in the production of any of said fake advertisements. Also, if you're easily offended, go fuck your mother. Howdy! Welcome to Farewell Ranch. They say the golden years are the best years of your life, but for many seniors, they just stink up the house and make the grandkids feel uncomfortable with unwanted affection. Now, your old people can be earning you money and enjoying the final years of Farewell Ranch. It's a working farm, cattle ranch, and crematorium where the cowboys are all over 75. They'll enjoy rodeos, working in the fields, and tending all the final resting places of their new friends on Sunshine Hill. Farewell Ranch works your loved ones from sunup to sundown, and when your loved ones passes away, we'll send you a presentation package VHS with the spurs and boots they're wearing as they went on to a better world. Our residents sure love it here. Right, Norm? Is this WW2? Farewell Ranch, the only way to ride into the sunset. So I say it a lot, but it's worth mentioning that I am a pretty bitter skeptic, so I'm going to probably try to shit on this theory pretty hard because I know a lot of people are talking it up like it's some sort of fact but we're going to look at all the facts and then you guys can formulate your own opinions about it but I happen to think it's bullshit but what is the 27 Club? That's where we're going to start and we'll get into the white lighter theory in a little bit Uh, the 27 Club has become one of the most elusive and remarkably tragic coincidences in rock and roll history the term is widely known and it became widely known after Kurt Cobain's death in 94 I know that a big part of my listener uh, of crowd is 17 to 24 year olds, so this guy probably was really important to your uncle. Uh, rock fans connected his age of death with that of Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, blah, blah, blah. There's a shitload of them. Though it was notable to fans in the early 1970s when those four visionaries died within just two years of each other. Uh, But when Amy Winehouse passed away at age 27 in 2011, it attracted even more attention to the significance of the age. While the club has been largely connected to musicians, it has expanded some, as many young actors and artists have lost their lives due to everything from addiction to suicide, freak accidents, and murder. Uh, I was going to cover everyone that was in the 27 Club, but there are so many fucking people. I'm just going to do a fucking fair use copyright montage of their music, and if you have any questions, you can just message me. Uh... But here are some of the unfortunate and untimely losses connected to the club. Uh, This is one of my personal favorites, and I actually did not know that he was a member of the 27th Club because I'm a fucking doubter. One of the Delta Blues' most celebrated and singular talents is a man named Robert Johnson, who recorded chilling folkloric songs about hellhounds, the devil, general despair uh, amid swinging, dissonant, and sometimes off-kilter guitar lines. 
the likes of which have reverberated through rock and roll for decades. Uh, he recorded less than 50 songs, including ones later covered or, or stolen, as I would say, by uh, Eric Clapton and Kareem, like the Crossroads Blues. It's a pretty fucking famous song. Uh, Captain Beefheart and the Rolling Stones' Love in Vain and Stop Breaking Down. And he performed alongside the likes of Howlin' Wolf, Elmore James, and uh, Memphis Slim as he rose to fame. Uh, Keith Richards was once quoted as having said, You want to know how good the blues can get? Well, this is it. Talking about Robert Johnson. In August of 38, just a few months after his 27th birthday, Johnson made moves on the wife of the owner of a roadhouse where he was playing, uh, drank from an open bottle of whiskey that he was offered, and died three days later of styrokine poisoning and pneumonia. He's buried in an unmarked grave somewhere in Mississippi. And this is what he sounds like. I went to the See, I'd love to play you the whole clip, but if I did, then this podcast would be longer than a Lord of the Rings audiobook, so I'm going to keep it under a specific amount of time, A, to dodge a lawsuit, and B, to keep it under the fucking five-hour mark for the show today. You're welcome. Next guy that we're going to talk about is a dude named Brian Jones. Brian Jones was the original leader of the Meg group that you may have heard of called the Rolling Stones. Although he had started the band, he was soon overshadowed by fellow bandmates, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. After the initial success of the band, Brian was eventually fired by Mick, Charlie Watts, and Keith Richards in 1969 because of his excessive use of drugs and the band's inability to secure him a visa to tour the United States as a result of multiple drug convictions. On July 3rd, 1969, Brian Jones was the first of four members to join the 27th Club. He was discovered by his girlfriend at the bottom of a pool. The coroner found that his heart and liver were heavily enlarged due to excessive drug and alcohol use. Incidentally, on his death, Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison wrote songs and poems in honor of the musician. Both celebrities would be dead within two years and would also become members of the 27 Club. I am aware that you guys probably know what the Rolling Stones sound like. However, I found a live recording with Brian Jones actually playing on it, and I quite enjoyed it, so hopefully you do as well. I see my riddle and I want it painted black. Let's talk about Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix started his career playing guitar in various bands, including the Isley Brothers and with Sam Cooke, Wilson Pickett, Jackie Wilson, and Little Richard's backing bands. After meeting Linda Keith, Keith Richards' then-girlfriend, and based on her recommendation, he moved to London, where she introduced him to various music industry insiders. He secured a record deal, and released three successful solo albums. On September 17, 1970, Jimi Hendrix took nine Vesperex, a highly potent barbiturate, while consuming it with alcohol. He passed away in London. The coroner found that he had drowned in his own vomit, which is an unpleasant way to go out on a good day. And you know what he sounds like, but just for the sake of fairness, here he is anyway. Let's talk about another one. Janis Joplin was a major star in the 1960s. She was one of the leaders in psychedelic rock and uh, 
it was the genre that dominated the flower power movement for the most part at the time, which was the hippies, to those of you that don't know, kids. By the time she passed away in 1970, she had released three very successful albums with her backing bands. She unfortunately had very bad health due to her heroin addiction, and that eventually took her life. Uh, she also looked like she was, fuck, she was 27. She looked about 70. Looked about 72. City miles on her, man. Definitely city miles. Uh, that's what heroin will do to you, though. Uh, the night she passed away, she had taken an intravenous dose of heroin and had gone down to the lobby of her hotel to buy cigarettes. On returning to her room, she collapsed, hit her head against a coffee table, and was found by her manager, John Cook, on the floor the next morning. He had said in the media that she had probably been sold a stronger-than-usual dose of heroin, which is definitely a possibility, which eventually killed her, because the strains that you'll get from different dealers vary so fucking much. It's ridiculous. It can, uh, you can dose out your normal dose, or as best you think, and fucking slam it, and then you're dead. Look at the, uh, look at the opiate crisis going on right now. That's exactly what's happening. The heroin she had been sold by her dealer had killed a few other dealers' clients in the preceding week, so it was just a bad batch of shit. That's fucked up, though, but that does happen quite a bit. Is it supernatural? I don't fucking think so. And here's a sample of Janis Joplin's work. You know you got it if it makes you feel good. Come on, man. All right. So Jim, Jimmy, and Janis passed away within a few months of each other. Now let's talk about Jim Morrison. He was the leader of the American psychedelic rock band The Doors and one of the leaders of the flower power movement of the late 1960s. In 1971, Jim Morrison left the United States and moved to Paris, France with his girlfriend, Pamela Corson. After a night out partying, he allegedly accidentally inhaled some of his girlfriend's heroin, mistaking it for cocaine. He then took a bath. His girlfriend found him dead in the bathtub when she probably woke up. His girlfriend later passed away in 1974, at the age of 27, of a heroin overdose in the United States. I think the real coincidence here is the heroin, or is not the age 27, but the common denominator is, in fact, the drugs. The death of Jim, Jimmy, and Janice and Brian was seen as the end of the hippie movement, according to this author, which I don't agree with. I think the death of the hippie movement was the murder of Sharon Tate. But here's a sample of Jim Morrison, anyway, in The Doors. This is the end. Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end Alright, so now we're moving out of the hippie movement Talk about Dave Alexander He was the bassist for the punk band The Stooges He had a history of being reckless He dropped out of high school to win a bet Had a drinking problem and he took too many downers, to the point that he was eventually fired from the band by the band's frontman, Iggy Pop. Uh, he spent the rest of his life battling downer addiction, and he eventually developed pancreatitis and was admitted to the hospital where he passed away from pulmonary edema. That is an odd one. Huh. This next one is a personal favorite of mine. Pete Ham was the leader and frontman and main songwriter of the band known as Badfinger. The band was originally 
known as the Ivies, and they were eventually discovered by Mal Evans, who was the Beatles' personal assistant. The band was eventually signed to the Beatles' record company, which was Apple, and they eventually moved to Warner Brothers after Apple started to crumble. At Warner Brothers, they had consistent financial problems caused by their manager, Stan Pauly. Pete could no longer take the conflict and confrontation, eventually committed suicide by hanging himself in his garage in Surrey, England, within three days of his 28th birthday. In his suicide note, he mentioned his business manager, stating that Stan Pauly is a soulless bastard. I would take him with me. Damn. They wrote one of the coolest guitar riffs, so I thought one of the, one of the guitar riffs that inspired me to learn how to play guitar was written by them. And I'm going to play that right now. No matter what you are, I will always be with you. Okay, and now, the one that most people know, Kurt Cobain was the founder and leader of the grunge band known as Nirvana. Many say he was the face of the new movement of music. It was only with his death that critics started piecing together the 27th Club concept. I don't know why I keep calling it the 27th Club, the 27 Club concept. Prior to his death, Kurt had attempted suicide kind of twice. First in March of 94 by taking an overdose of Rohypnol mixed with champagne, which I don't really think is what they said it was. And then on the 18th of March, where Courtney Love called the police to report that Kurt was suicidal and had locked himself in a room with a gun, although I don't buy that one either because Courtney Love is a sack of dick. When the police arrived at the scene, Kurt merely said that he'd hidden himself in the room to get away from Courtney and her fucking screaming, which I can see very easily. Courtney then arranged an intervention, and Kurt agreed to go to rehab to deal with his drug and alcohol dependency. Counselors at the facility did not know that he had suicide ideations. I'm sure they said that just to avoid the lawsuit. Obviously, people aren't doing well when they're at your rehab clinic, you stupid fucks. He escaped from the facility and went to his home in Seattle. People didn't know where he was, and Courtney had hired a private detective to find him because she is a piece of shit. An electrician had discovered Kurt's dead body three days after he'd shot himself in the head. In his suicide note, addressed to his childhood imaginary friend, he indicated that he had not been inspired to create or listen to music in quite some time. The autopsy found a shitload of heroin and diazepam in Kurt's body at the time of his death. Well, I think he was killed personally, but either way, however you slice it, he was still dead at 27 and Kurt Cobain had several very famous songs, and I'm not going to play any of them. I'm going to play an obscure one from an album that wasn't, or that was a huge hit, but this song is often overlooked. Since we're talking about grunge artists, let's talk about, if you want to use that term for this bitch, well, not the lady that's dead, but the bitch whose band it was. Anyway, Kristen Pfaff was the bassist for a grunge band by the name of Hole. Hole was led by Kurt Cobain's wife, Courtney Love. Shithead. 
She featured on the band's first two albums, including the band's biggest selling album, Live Through This, which shipped over two million units worldwide. Kristen passed away two months after Kurt on the 16th of June, 1994. She was found in a bathtub at her, at her apartment by a friend. She had passed away from apparent heroin overdose. Her boyfriend, Eric Donaldson, commented that people had died because of stupid mistakes that they had made. He wasn't very well spoken, I guess. Reporters claimed the comments were attributed to the deaths of Faf and, Co and Cobain, but he just seems like a douchebag. And, uh, uh... Fair is fair. I'll play a sample of whole, but fuck Courtney Love. You should learn how to say no! Indeed, and I say no to playing Courtney Love on this show. Okay, so this is probably the weirdest story of the whole lot. This is the story of Richie Edwards, who was the guitarist and lyricist for the famous British band called the Manic Street Pete Preachers. He disappeared the day that he and frontman James Dean Bradfield were meant to travel to the United States to do a promotional tour. There was talk that he had been spotted around town a few days earlier, or a few days after his disappearance, rather. But no one ever saw him again, and he seemed to have fallen off the face of the earth. Nobody knows if he's dead or alive, but in... 2014, he was legally dead. So, anyone that has any information on that, I'd be intrigued to hear it, because uh, he just vanished off the face of the fucking earth. But, they did have an extremely famous song that I'm sure all of you remember from your dad watching TV in the morning, and I'll play it right now. It was the theme song of that show. So we've talked about a lot of crack whores, but this one is by far my favorite crack whore. Amy Winehouse was an exceptionally talented vocalist who had attained major success on the charts prior to her accidental death. Her Back to Black album won multiple Grammy Awards and millions of her albums were sold internationally. Unfortunately though, much like MC Hammer, she was surrounded by people who wanted to profit from her success, including old pops. She had just come out of rehab when she passed away. Prior to her passing, however, oh, this guy's the stupidest fucking bitch I've ever heard about in my life. Her bodyguard reported that a few days before her death, he'd witnessed that she had been drinking excessively. And then on the day of her death, her bodyguard noticed her lying on the bed at 10 a.m. and tried to rouse her, but she didn't move. So then, never passing up an opportunity to fuck around, he gave himself the afternoon off, came back at 3 p.m., and found her in the same position. And that's when he started thinking, maybe something could be wrong. When he checked her cold, dead wrist for a pulse, he realized that she might be dead. The ambulance was called, and she was declared dead on the scene. She'd passed away of alcohol intoxication. Fucking idiot. Jesus Christ. I told you I was troubled. You know that I'm no good. Alright, so obviously I don't have time to give you bios on everybody in the 27 Club. Uh especially since there's so goddamn fucking many of them. And these names are only a fraction of the mystery, let me say that. If you want to only consider musicians that achieved a high level of fame, I'm still going to be talking about 60 members of the club, and if you extend it down to semi-famous and down to local fame, the numbers obviously explode exponentially. So with this one, everybody loves to throw around the conspiracy term. Uh, so let's strap on our tinfoil hats and just look into the rabbit hole real quick. Uh, I'm not going to dive into any of these retarded fucking 
conspiracy theories that have to do with this. But when I searched for the 27 Club conspiracy, I found things where musicians were alleged to have ties to the military industrial complex to help certain uh, social concepts and ideas get spread to influence the public by the deep state. It also turns out that they allege that they have occult ties, and some people allege that they die in some sort of corporate conspiracy to cash out on their artist insurance claims. Others have claimed that they're privy to the insider secrets and had to be silenced, that is, the artists are. Others may truly fall into that club coincidentally. Uh, there were a lot of things that I found, as far as conspiracies go, that talked about the return of Saturn, which was an astrological event that begins, allegedly, it varies for everybody, but a lot of people, it begins at the age of 27. I did the numbers on mine, and mine actually begins when I'm 28, or began when I was 28. There's an unbelievable amount of albums and songs having to do with this concept. For instance, the well-known great album by, no doubt, Return of Saturn... <laughs> If you stay on the surface level and take the reports surrounding these deaths as true, then nothing looks too strange. But according to these conspiracy theorists, as you begin to do the tiniest, most just scrutinizing every detail and do your due diligence in an investigation, it becomes obvious that there's a lot of fake information that's being passed to cover up something. And uh, that's not true. They're trying to allege that. A lot of these conspiracy theories are saying that's what's going on. It's not. I did do my research for this episode so they can all eat my balls. It's bullshit. It could be as simple as a label wanting to not taint the legacy of their stars in order to continue milking the money out of them post-mortem. Or it could be far more sinister. Keep in mind, I'm reading this right now from a conspiracy theorist article and quoting as I go, but... Anyway, what's clear is this is not natural, which means it's being orchestrated. It's not being orchestrated. I'll tell you what it is after I read this fucking retard's work. It gets even more fishy when studies come out that are conflicting with and attempting to disprove each other. There's motivation behind the effort. I draw no conclusion on something other than something is up and will likely know the full truth. Uh, okay, so his claim to substantiate that statement is that something is up. And, okay, the, the claim that substantiates that is, for instance, take a look at the list of card-carrying club members and read the official cause of death. Some of the oldest admit to poisoning and murder, but so many are overdoses. Yeah, no shit, you fucking moron. How many people are on drugs? Car crashes, road accidents, drowning, asphyxiation, fall from great heights, suicide, undisclosed illness, all these could easily fall under the banner of murder. Uh, yeah, they could also fall under the, the, the categorization of stupid-ass decisions I made while fucked up. And many of them had fishy circumstances surrounding the events. Yeah, because everyone was on drugs. No one could give you a straight fucking answer. God, this guy's a fucking mouth breather. The elite side of the entertainment industry is in bed with lots of other special interest groups that want to push certain narratives and social norms. Almost every member of the 27th Club was a revolutionary with a strong counterculture message that they may have achieved too much fame and played their guitar a little too good. Yeah, man, like the Pennywise bass player who also died at 27. I'm sure people really gave a fuck about what he had to say. Stupid asshole. So that was one conspiracy theorist fucking theory. Uh, I didn't have my tinfoil hat on hard enough for that one, but... Oof, man, what a fucking asshole. So let's talk a little bit about Saturn rising. Or Saturn, the return of Saturn, my mistake. Uh, I'll just read you what mine says. You were born when Saturn was in the air sign of Aquarius, 
At the ages of approximately 28, 59, and 89, Saturn returns to the degree of Aquarius that it occupied when you were born, and it begins a new cycle. Over the course of the previous 28 years, it circled and influenced every part of your horoscope from every possible angle, so that the chart's potential gradually acquired form and substance. At seven-year interv intervals, your experience was challenged and offered you the chance to grow. Get your 13-page PDF report, including your personal Saturn return dates and Saturn transit dates to look out for. Enter your name and read your full report. $17. <sighs> seven-year intervals. So 7, 14, 21. What happened when I was 21? Maybe. There might be some truth to this. No. That, uh, this... I've solved it. I've solved the fucking mystery of all this, and I'm going to tell you what it is, but you're going to have to fucking wait. I don't want to spoil the surprise. Old Max, we go everywhere together. Right, boy? At Pet Stuffers, we know there's nothing like a relationship between a man and his dog. Sometimes you just can't let go. Max, you didn't eat your food. That's the second week in a row. Max? When the unspeakable happens, just put your four-legged friend in the refrigerator or freezer. Then call Pet Stuffers. We'll be there within a week to pick him up, and in less than a month, he'll be back as good as new. Through an ancient Egyptian miracle process called taxidermy, you and your best friend will always be together. Yeah, that's a good dog. Pet Stuffers, when you just can't let go. And coming soon, grandparents forever. So I just realized that I didn't really explain the return of Saturn very well because I believe there's as much credibility to that as there are to the military-industrial complex theory, so I'm going to give it its due shot. Uh, essentially, the return of Saturn is your cosmic rite of passage. It says every 29.5 years or so, you'll get a nudge that you need to advance into a new stage of adulthood. In astrology, they call it the return of Saturn. There's an obvious reason for this name, and that's because Saturn takes approximately 29 and a half years, give or take, to complete one full orbit around the sun, and literally return to the same zodiac sign it was on the day that you were born. The first Saturn return, which can happen between the ages of 27 and 30, is a bit like a cosmic bar mitzvah, quinceanera, uh, a communion, if you will, or a rite of passage welcoming you into your more mature role here on Earth. And it's not going to get any clearer than that, because it's not very clear to begin with since it's a pseudoscience, but I find it interesting. So that's one theory, is that this 27th year is the uh, Saturn return for all these people, I guess, and their Saturn return was dying. That sucks. I guess that's a challenge. Beat death. No, you can't. But as far as conspiracy theories go, let's talk about another one. Now, unfortunately for me, I find myself believing in this one, and I was trying to figure out where it came from. I don't know. But if you were in high school during, during George W. Bush's pregnancy, junior, well before a handful of states had decriminalized weed, uh, sto stoner stories will sound a little different to you. They're dynamic, dramatic, plot-driven, intrepid quests to and from your dealer's house or to a side street that you both agreed to meet on and hoped would stay vacant for the next 10 minutes while you exchanged cash for goods, the stories are haunted and puffed with paranoia. Where there's paranoia, there's superstition, especially in stoner circles, and for non-stoners, these foreboding, unlucky symbols present themselves as broken mirrors, the number 13, or a black cat you wish you hadn't seen right before you get arrested for possession. 
But her friends huddled in semicircles, passing around a joint or sharing a bong, nothing initiates the doom spiral like the fucking retard that pulls out the white lighter. The myth of the white lighter, the cursed talisman, is a creeper. First, it's mentioned in passing, establishing itself like a person's face you recognize but you can't remember from where. If you use the white lighter, your bong was going to break, one lifelong stoner recalled. Then, like a corrupt prosecutor, your brain begins to collect instances of bad luck wherein a white lighter was present. It's the process of dismantling your logic one coincidence at a time. Take this one Redditor, for example, who claims that in high school, every single time the cops were involved, it was because of a white lighter. Once the evidence reaches a fever pitch, the paranoia carves its way into your daily life. Over the last few days, I've had white lighters appear out of nowhere in my house, writes a different Redditor. He makes it clear that neither he nor his friends buy white lighters. I checked the entire house, man, and there aren't any intruders leaving lighters around to spook me. I doubt it's my friends playing a trick on me because they generally freaked out by the situation too, man. I've also had this happen to me before with lighters cloning themselves in my old car, man, and for no, no rational reason as to why they're there. It's probably because you steal lighters when you're high, you fucking asshole. Ultimately, then, the white lighter becomes a hardened superstition because of dick holes like this. A ghost, if you will, in smoking culture. According to Dr. Saucier, a professor of psychology at Kansas State University, is typical of any superstition. What happens is people tend to imbue some sort of explanatory power onto things around them, he tells them. One of the things that we do to try to control our environment, which we can't control, and to lessen our anxiety and our stress is to exert what we call prediction and control. Therefore, in instances where we don't know what's going to happen, like those that once involved a controlled substance, we try to look for cues to bad things that happen around us in order to avoid them. So if something bad happens to you and you recall seeing a bat or a black cat, you would say, it was that fucking cat that crossed my path and caused the bad luck. Or I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you meddling kids and your fucking dog. We're naturally set up to do this, to try to find explanation for bad things. We can't really comprehend it. But his research on the subject of superstition has led him to conclude that there are three distinct components of belief in superstition. There's belief in good luck, belief in bad luck, and belief that you can change your luck. And we found out that they were related to the loss of control, which is basically this belief system that you think you can change things in your environment. People who think they can change things in their environment might believe that luck can be changed more. They might also be more likely to believe that luck controls events. Things are going to happen no matter what I do, which is not true. He imagines a similar trial a similar trail of events leading to the construction of the white lighter myth. What he said is that he was thinking that somewhere along the way, someone had something really bad happen and remembered having seen the white big lighter, which they don't always see. So they made the connection. He said they mentioned it to someone else and somebody else. And then the, everyone's seeing white big lighters and fucking the girl's asshole that gave him chlamydia when that's really not the case. Uh, also, allegedly, Members of the 27th Club, or the 27 Club, musicians that passed away at the age of 27, like we just fucking talked about, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison, were all alleged to have had one in their pockets at the time of their death. Well, first of all, they didn't make them until the 70s. When in the 70s, I don't remember. I think it was 72, but they were all dead by then, except for Kurt Cobain, of course. But there are pictures that have been released online of the crime scene that was his... his uh, his greenhouse, wherever that was where he shot himself. Um, and he had a multicolored lighter and a quite obviously pink lighter. Either that or it was one that was uh, 
red and faded, but it definitely wasn't white. Fuck. Okay, 73 Bic lighters were produced, which was... Oh, and Jim Morrison died in a fucking bathtub. Where's he going to put the lighter? I mean, maybe, I guess he's a rock star. He doesn't give a shit about his jeans or his lighter, but he probably gave a shit about his drugs, and if he had drugs on him, he probably wouldn't climb into the bathtub with his drug kit or cigarettes. I imagine that would be more a sense of irritation than anything else. I feel like your cigarettes you're going to be hyper-aware of, and no, you're not going to get your fucking lighter wet. I feel like even he would take it out of his pocket if he didn't have any more, because that's just annoying. I don't know. So it is possible Cobain had one, but the evidence photos, like I said, say otherwise. So why did this association that never even existed gain such a momentum? According to Adam Davis of the Missouri Folklore Society, he gets back to Dr. Saucier's point of how superstitions stem from our craving to layer coincidence with a sense of control. That's why people blame themselves for others' death. I mean, unless you kill them, it's not your fault. So at the core of the folk belief, attached to the furtive and not altogether wholesome pleasure is a hint of carpe diem, said David from the Folklore Society. The key to a budding superstition is the culture in which it's cultivated in. Depends on the strength of the event that's associated with it, too. If I had a blue water bottle and won the lottery, I'd make a much quicker association that if I'd had my blue or I'd make a much quicker association than if I had had my blue water bottle on the day that I found 25 cents on the sidewalk. You see what I'm saying? So something significant like that where people were emotionally impacted by it, which those death, deaths of those musicians were absolutely that significant of an event, could cause something like that to be driven into the cultural narrative. Which kind of gets to the theory, it all connects in a roundabout way to what I think is actually going on with the 27 Club. And I will get to that after this break, I promise. For thousands of years, Americans have looked for answers to life's difficult questions. Now, millions of people just like you are finding answers and taking charge of their lives through the original patented and proven program of Valhalla's finest deity, Thor. Treasure awaits you, but beware of your women folk. Treachery is deep within her. By the coming of the spring, she shall be no more. Thor changed my life. Author of two best-selling self-help books translated from the original runic into 25 languages, Thor has helped millions realize their dreams. Beware the trap set by the frost giants. Carry your magic hammer. Available on record or cassette, the personal Norse power program looks to the myths of the Vikings for answers. Can you give my husband and I some advice to help keep things hot in the bedroom? Take a longboat and 20 of your finest men. Head to where the sun sets. There you will find a village. Pillage, plunder, and burn all that you find. And if you order now, you'll receive Thor's subliminal tape series, so you gain wisdom of the gods while sleeping. Accept the crystal cup. At the feast, beware the dwarf. Thor's personal Norse power program. Call now, 866-PILLAGE. That's 866-PILLAGE. Okay, so through obsessive research, I've narrowed down what I think the 27 Club is to two major things that I think both explain each other pretty well, and they all ex they both explain the 27 Club separately. So, the first one that I'd like to talk about is actually a collection of several different things that all mean the same thing, but it's called apophenia, and it's the tendency to mistakenly perceive connections and meaning between unrelated things. Unmotivated seeing 
of connected connectiveness, a specific feeling of abnormal meaningfulness, also known as uh, the gambler's fallacy. Let's see what else. Uh, paternis- paternicity, which is the tendency to find meaningful patterns in and meaningless noise. Meaningful patterns in meaningless noise. Agenticity where it says that the tendency to infuse patterns with meaning, intention, and agency. Also, clustering illusion. A clustering illusion is a type of cognitive bias in which a person sees a pattern in a random sequence of numbers or events. A lot of gambling addicts have this. But just think about feeling out of control in your own life, times that you felt out of control, or like somebody's died, times of great loss. Uh, The first place that most people go to is disbelief, obviously, but then... If, say, you lose numerous people in the same year, oftentimes a lot of people will start to attribute that to bad luck or something that they can write off and explain it, other than sometimes life is just fucking cruel and that's how it goes. But people need to have control in their life. People need to have reason. People need an explanation for fucked up shit happening. That's why this disorder, it's not really a huge disorder if it's not an obsession is a thing. No, that's why there's bad... Let's, people believe in luck. Like, most people believe in luck. Uh, it's commonplace because of things like this. So I believe that when people lose an icon or somebody that, say, got them through puberty with their music, like Kurt Cobain did for a lot of people, uh, it's a tragedy. It's a personal tragedy. It's a part of your life dying in your mind. So you need a reason to justify it. Like, how could this happen? Why? Why did this happen? Why would whatever you believe in take whoever away from me well, because he was 27. That makes sense. So was Janis Joplin, and so was Jimi Hendrix, and they were taken too young, too. So was the Pennywise bass player, and so was the singer from uh, Visions of Atlantis, and so on and so forth, and you just go down the list, and it all makes sense because your brain is just desperately searching for a way to not have to deal with the loss and the trauma of your icon or idol, childhood idol, whatever, being gone. That's, that's one of my thoughts, and I think that's a pretty rational explanation for it, But I have an even more rational explanation if you guys still don't want to believe that it's just a cultural mind trick we've all played on ourselves. And I'll tell you what that one is after this next break. Asian pajamas? Chinese bandana? Something missing? With a throwing star, kendo sticks, or nunchucks at Vice City's one-stop shop for the silent fashion assassin. Wow, you look like a psycho. Complete the look. I'm back. And we're going to talk now about drug decay. So I know that the majority of my users are probably not on substances, but for those of you that have ever been on substances or are currently on them, you are familiar that there's a cruel duality with drug use, and that is, well, there's several, but one that the most people bitch about when they're telling you not to do drugs is that you're perpetually chasing that high. The one that they don't tell most people is that when you get older, that high comes back way easier because your body is slower to metabolize the drugs. That's why those of you that have aged through that fun process of when your hangovers start to suck ass have experienced that um, fucking miserable cycle. Young kids, I know there's a, not what you guys aren't kids, but young adults that listen to this show, I'm sorry, you're not kids can probably go out, drink all night, fucking fall asleep at three, wake up at five to go take a midterm and they're cool. But if I did that, I'd need to be in bed for three days to fucking recuperate from my hangover, and I'd be puking the whole time. 
that's because your body and your metabolism change as you get older, and your body doesn't handle drugs as well. Also, doesn't handle alcohol as well. Uh, it's far slower to process because when you're younger, you have a faster metabolism because you're growing, you're active, you're burning energy, and when you hit 25 or so, you start to die. Not really, but keep in mind, guys, I'm not a medical professional, so uh, don't take this as Bible fact. It is true enough, but I may be getting some of the terms wrong. Forgive me if I do. I'm not intentionally misleading you. Like I said, I'm not a nurse or a doctor. But with the slower metabolism, if you are slow to feel fucked up, often people in a party situation are just going to keep drinking until they eventually feel fucked up. And if you mix that with the lifestyle associated with many people in famous circles, that's a deadly combination because there is a pretty healthy flow of drugs in that scene and an ever-present one and very popular drug choice for a lot of these rock musicians. Uh, it's a downer. It's a barbiturate, fucking heroin, whatever, uh, Oxycontin, call it what you will, but any opiate barbiturate downer of nondescript variety when mixed with alcohol, which most of these cases were that were death by overdose. Uh, there were a few that were murdered, but not nearly enough to make up a percentage. I think maybe five were out of the whole club. If you mix it with alcohol and you overdose, you are so fucked, it's not even funny. Physically, you die. I don't know why. What, like, what kills you initially? A lot of them choked on their vomit, which is an issue. Uh, if you're partying that, that hard, choke on your vomit while laying on your back because you passed out and you're fucking dead if no one's there to flip you on your side and do all that fun shit. Uh, so I think 27 is a significant age for a lot of people physiologically because that's when their body is no longer able to process the drugs and alcohol like it was when they were 18 or 19 or when they were first starting with their record label. It's like even 23-year-olds can go out, party all fucking night and be cool. I remember I hit the wall of needing sleep when I was, uh, obviously I needed sleep before, but I barely slept for a long time. I'd sleep a few hours a night. And I hit that wall, I think, when I was probably 25. It was when I realized that I needed to seriously start sleeping four hours a night. And then by the time I was 28, it was, I need to sleep fucking at least nine hours a night or my feet are swelling up and all sorts of fun shit starts happening when you start getting older. And I believe it's the same thing with drugs and alcohol that eventually with some of these rock stars that just caught up to them at that age, which it makes sense because your prefrontal cortex stops developing around the time you're 25 and the rest of your brain and body follow suit along after. And it starts to degenerate. Your body does at least slowly, but it slowly starts then. And I think that's what it is. That's my bet. If I had to put all of my eggs in one basket, this would be the basket I'd pick. And I think it's just as simple as that. That a lot of, uh, People just burn out at the time they're 27 and their body cannot take it anymore. There's always going to be exceptions to rules. Like, look at the Rolling Stones. I think those guys party harder than anybody we've ever met. And they're still alive with the exception of the Rolling Stone that died. Covered him. Uh, like I said, always going to be an exception. Always going to be weird anomalies. But uh, according to the percentages of people that die at the age of 27 that have had number one record deals, uh, I think it was... Out of 10,000, 100 of them died at 27. The majority of them actually die at 56. So go figure, because that's the Saturn rising, or the return of Saturn again, or something like that. It's the squared of it. 
the second time it happens in your life. Saturn comes back, and that's when most of these people actually die. The highest percentage of rock stars dying happened when they were 56. Uh, a bunch of them. I'm not going to list that list, but there were a fuckload of them. And before I roll the credits, I'm going to give you guys a quick, quick montage of all the artists that I found that had recorded hits that died at the age of 27. In a quick, just compilation track it shouldn't be that long but a lot of them quite a few of them i'm not a fucking idiot i know that people like reba mcintyre are not dead however somebody in their band might be so if you have a discrepancy with it do your homework because as is the case with reba you'll hear in a little bit one of her songs is featured there and i know goddamn well reba's not dead but one of her guitar players died at 27 so slobber upon it if you have something to say.
te llamo Si no encuentras motivos para seguir conmigo And on that charming note, that's going to be the end of today's show. Thank you all very much for tuning back in. It is always appreciated when I look at my numbers and see you guys tuning in and spreading the word pretty consistently. If you'd like to contribute to the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com and searching for Anthology of Horror. You could also go to anthologyofhorror.com. Or you can check out the new website through my new fucking thing. And I believe that is anthologyofhorror.anchor.fm, but let me double check.
my mistake. That is anchor.fm slash anthology dash of dash horror. And it's actually kind of cool because if you wanted to make a contribution to the show, it would be much appreciated, and you can do so by pressing the support button right at the top of the page. There's also a little uh, story player so you can hear my uh, my podcast and some fucking thing online if that does anything for you. It might. Also, I have clearer analytics now, so I can further track my performance and further track my listenership. So, my top countries, thank you very much, United States, United Kingdom, Canada, the Philippines, Australia, India, Germany, New Zealand, Russia, Sweden, Norway, Mexico, Denmark, Finland, and Angola. Thank you very much. And my top cities, I have to go by country for those, but California, that is not a city, that's a state. I have to go by state too, so I'm probably not going to be doing that anymore, but I appreciate you guys, thank you very much for tuning in. I have a surprising amount of listeners in San Jose. Thank you, San Jose. Huh. What a... Funny. Thank you all very much for tuning in. This has been another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. This is Springheel Jack signing out, and until next time, uh, stay spooky. Oh, and if you'd like to send me a message, you can do so by Instagram messaging me, because I have officially lost my G Suite account. You can message me at DukeLandis17 on Instagram.com. Instagram.com slash Duke, D-U-K-E-L-A-N-D-I-S-1-7. Thank you very much.